This episode is sponsored by Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about Anchor, um, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and Ashley and I can definitely personally vouch for this. First of all, it saves you a bunch of time, so we don't really talk about this, but Ashley and I both have full-time jobs, and we don't really live close by each other, so we just get together once a week, every week, and talk about our podcast, and Anchor.fm helps us a lot to get everything out there and ready to go for you all to listen to with not a lot of time needed. So first of all, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. There are also creation tools right in Anchor that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or from your computer. Also, Anchor is free. And even though you don't have to pay any money, it actually allows you to make money from your own podcast, even without a minimum number of listeners. It's everything you could possibly need to make a podcast for free in one place. So if you can't already tell, we both love Anchor. And if you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, listeners, and welcome to Above the Wing, a podcast to bring together all aspects of the aviation community, including engineers, journalists, mechanics, pilots, and even casual hobbyists. I'm your co-host, Kim. And I'm your co-host, Ashley. We'll talk about all things aviation, from current events to new products and airplanes to industry trends and everything in between. Looking at our first in the news article for this week, Dyer expects the first flight of their hybrid electric EcoPulse technology demonstrator to take place by the end of this year. It was developed in partnership with Safran and Airbus and supported by France's COARC Civil Aviation Research Council. The test aircraft is based on the TBM 900 series airframe and features six wing-mounted 50 kilowatt electric motors in addition to its standard Pratt & Whitney Canada PT6 turboprop engine. Its purpose is to develop the key architectural purposes. That's the wrong word. Its purpose is to develop the key architectural principles for future hybrid airplanes. Their CEO described the testbed, which has been under development over the past three years, as part of the company's product roadmap of the future. He also noted that it's already been powered up at the Airframers Turbines France factory and had a successful thermal runaway test. He said, quote, we want to see how to manage high voltage within an aircraft. Moving on to our second headline for this week, the Rolls-Royce Pearl 700 engine is on its home stretch. The Pearl 700 engine is for the ultra-long-range Gulfstream 700. Rolls-Royce is now shifting to production mode, said the senior VP for the Pearl 700 program, Calm Golden. Pearl 700 and 10X are rated to produce more than 18,000 pounds of thrust and to deliver significant increases in efficiency. In comparison to Rolls-Royce BR725, the Pearl 700 delivers an 8% increase in takeoff thrust, 12% improvement in thrust-to-weight ratio, and a 5% improvement in overall efficiency. Rolls-Royce achieved these improvements with advanced materials and manufacturing techniques, including the use of 3D-printed combustor tiles. Looking at our next headline, Delta Airlines will begin paying their cabin crews during boarding. This is a change that is expected to increase their wages by several thousands of dollars a year. Pay for flight attendants currently starts once all passengers are seated and the plane's doors are closed. In a memo to flight attendants, the airline said the new pay, quote, further recognizes how important your role is on board to ensuring a welcoming, safe, and on-time start to every flight. 
And finally, our last headline for this week, electric hybrid general aviation plane recharges batteries in flight. A company called Volt Aero has developed an electric hybrid general aviation aircraft called the Casio. Casio will perform demonstration flights across the Netherlands beginning on June 13, 2022. These flights include analyses of operational costs, noise, ground infrastructure requirements, and technical support. The Casio family aircraft will range from 4 to 12 seats. The target customers are private aircraft owners, air taxi companies, charter companies, cargo, postal delivery, and medical evacuation flights. Casio aircraft uses electric motors for all electric power during taxi, takeoff, primary flight, and landing. However, an internal combustion engine is also used as a range extender and to recharge batteries during flight. So moving into the bulk of our episode for this week, and for this week's episode, we watched the second episode of Challenger, The Final Flight, which is a Netflix documentary series. And this episode went a little more in depth after the first one of some of the buildup leading up to the Challenger flight, as well as um, sort of a deeper dive into what actually it was that went wrong. Um, I thought that the episode sort of had a unique, very interesting um, introduction, very first couple minutes. It actually opened, uh, well, a couple minutes after, op- after opening with a short Jerry Seinfeld skit, which I thought was sort of a attention grabber um, for those who are less science inclined like myself. Um, and it was, it, but it, it shed some interesting light on how people were feeling at the time, right? So Jerry spoke about how at this point there had been a couple launches by NASA. And so people were almost, for lack of a better word, uh, bored or unimpressed with with what was starting to go on. Um, at that point, it was just another launch, or at least that's how some were feeling. Um, and Jerry Seinfeld joked that um, during this time, you know, the search for, um, you know, astronauts was going on. And he said he would be more interested if someone who didn't want to go to space was, was being sent up um, and how that would be, um, you know, funny and interesting to watch. So, was definitely, you know, obviously unique and an attention grabber, but it also provided some really interesting uh, light into how the public was feeling and maybe some of the pressures that NASA was feeling. You know, they they wanted to keep, um, you know, I don't want to say a fan base, but like they wanted to keep the attention of, of you know, the citizens who were watching. Um, so they were doing what they could to make it interesting. And, and then the documentary went into the teacher search. So, you know, that's that's one of the routes that they went to, um, you know, draw attention. Yeah, and going back to what you mentioned about the public support and public opinion of NASA, I feel like opening up with Jerry Seinfeld was a really good way to start the episode because a lot of the events that transpired, especially in this episode, but in the Challenger situation as a whole, um, was because NASA was losing public support and NASA relied on, you know, government funding and public opinion mm-hmm. to make sure that they could keep going. Um, and I think they mentioned in the episode that one of the um, 
one of the speakers that they invited into the documentary was saying that he kept track of what page of the newspaper that the NASA launches were on. And gradually, the headlines moved from the front page to the 12th page, right. for example. I thought that uh, was an interesting tidbit. <laughs> yeah, yes. It definitely was. Definitely a good indicator of, um, you know, like the sign of the times and how it really was shifting and where its importance was in, in people's minds. Yeah, like the the importance was waning in people's minds. Yes, absolutely. So like you said, like NASA had a lot of pressure to perform well and mm-hmm. do something flashy, I guess, to get the interest back. Yeah, and so they really did, uh, you know, step it up and make it flashy. Um, the Of the teachers that were in the running and then were selected um, to be – you know, on the flight, the teacher ended up being appointed by President Reagan at the time. So it was a huge deal. All the final candidates were, you know, out there with him and he announced it in front of everyone in in like a press sort of briefing. So it definitely was a huge deal where they, um, you know, shifted it to be not just NASA's doing, but, you know, at this point, the president was involved, which sort of leveled it up even more. Yeah, and the documentary showed a clip where the president announced this new initiative for NASA to start looking for an astronaut who was a teacher. And he had this whole grand speech um, that was like, this will shed light on like how important education is to our country. And finally, we'll be able to like bring a teacher up into like the frontier, whatever, whatever. And it was like, like the way that it was delivered um, made me feel like in awe, even though I knew oh, yeah. that this was coming, right? But right. like the like at the time, the way that all this was presented um, was definitely what NASA needed and what NASA wanted. I feel like even now, like if we saw that, like that's so like uncharacteristic of everything else that like you would imagine. So I feel like it definitely even now would work as like a you know an attention. like realignment of the public (laughs) yeah and we talk about like headlines of the space race and stuff all the time Mm -hmm. and we talked about blue origin versus spacex and the passengers on it were like scientists or people who bought a ticket meaning they had enough money to you know Mm -hmm. just dish out something for a joyride you know and those people are not relatable to us Um, So you're right. Like the parallels are definitely there. Like if a teacher went on a Blue Origin flight, I think that would be a lot more attention grabbing than another millionaire billionaire. And especially the way in how it was done, right? Like this was a search, you know, two teachers from every state got to be in the running and then it was narrowed down from there and um, they all went through the training and, you know, so I think like that is so different than um, like what we're seeing today. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And even before Reagan um, announced that there would be teachers on board, so many people were trying to put their hats in the ring. Like everyone wanted to go into space. And I thought that was interesting. It was like in stark contrast to Jerry Seinfeld's bit about like, (laughs) well, it's getting boring now. Like no one really cares about space anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We saw news anchors and, you know, people who do commentary and stuff wanting to be involved and Everyone really, just like you said, like wanted to get their foot in it for sure. Yeah, yeah. So once the teacher was chosen, 
um, I really liked how the documentary personified the teacher, uh, Krista McAuliffe, I believe is Mm -hmm. how her last name is pronounced. And Barbara Morgan was the backup. And Barbara was actually in the documentary. She had a lot of interesting things to say. Mm -hmm. And I am not a filmmaker, like by any means, but from an amateur's perspective, if if you will, <laughs> um, the way that they painted Krista's personality was so well done. I feel like mm-hmm. um, Barbara told the story about when they first moved down to start their astronaut training. And, you know, they bought their pots and pans and Barbara was setting up her own place. And then all of a sudden she got a knock on her door and it was Krista and she had fresh homemade apple pie <laughs> and yeah, she was just like delivering something out of a movie <laughs> i know seriously like like i don't know like krista just seemed like such a warm and just like the perfect teacher really oh I yeah feel like yeah um yeah i don't know it was just like setting setting it up for tragedy i feel like yeah definitely it's like things were just going like too well yeah exactly and we knew that things were gonna literally explode right. unfortunately but alongside all this um you know painting the picture of the astronauts and the teacher surge of who would go who was going to go up into space i think the documentary also did a great job of juxtaposing the issues that nasa was having and that morton theocall was having um and I, I really liked how they did that because you know the picking a teacher to go into space and seeing all the clips of Barbara and Krista going through all the training was all like very exciting and fast paced and cool. But on the flip side, on the side that not everybody saw that wasn't really publicized was an engineering company whose engineers clenched their knuckles so hard that their knuckles became white every time they sent a space shuttle up. And that was really concerning. Yeah, definitely not. Um, of all people, the people you want to lose the confidence in. Yeah, and I also enjoyed the um, the candid interviews from en- the engineers at the time. Um, I really appreciated how all of them were really honest um, mm-hmm. about what happened, and their um, they described a memo that was sent, um, and it had like all caps "help!" exclamation point. Like they were really crying out, like saying, right. "Like we can't fly this thing." Yeah. But they were just getting no attention. Yeah, because there was so much pressure that NASA had to make this good. And NASA needed to make this safe, too. But for some reason, that was just like an afterthought. So the issue that the engineers were having was with a silicone seal called an O-ring. And the name is very fitting. It's shaped like a circle. Um, And it fits in a groove to make sure that the two pieces of the spacecraft case essentially fit together well. Mm-hmm. And this was a crucial part because if the pieces weren't fit together correctly or tight enough or whatever, then the aircraft or the spacecraft would essentially just burn up. And now we know that's what happened. And the na- the engineers also expected that to happen. Um. And in previous flights, when they recovered the solid rocket boosters, um, like post-flight, they, you know, did some examinations on the remaining hardware. 
and they saw some pretty um, concerning things. They saw that there were holes burned through the O-rings and there was evidence that um, like particles had gone through the seal and it wasn't an effective seal. And they were getting really concerned, even though that they had two O-rings in series in case one burned through. One burning through already is a really bad sign. Um, right. And the engineers did a ton of data analysis, I'm sure. And they sifted through everything. And the only thing they could find was that the lower the temperature of the launch, the greater the likelihood that the O-ring would fail. And this evidence, I feel like, was was pretty straightforward. Like, don't launch right. when it's not cold. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, you know, as we know today, we know that they launched it in um, suboptimal temperatures and mm-hmm. the spacecraft exploded. But, you know, they, they did the analytical work and they, right. they did what they needed to do to try and get the word out, I feel like. But they also had the director of the Marshall Space Center at the time. And he said that this spacecraft needed to fly so he mm-hmm. actually signed a waiver to allow it to fly and this was just like like astounding to me <laughs> i mean i right. get it like when the pressure's on to put on a performance and make sure that things go well you you gotta perform but don't mm-hmm. sacrifice lives to do that right i don't know i know it's it's so crazy to think about that like a you know a, a potential change you know, outcome could have just been like if they like waited for different, you know, just like you said, like temperature and weather conditions. Like, I mean, obviously we can't be sure, but like, it's not like it was like a major structural thing or, you know, like anything like that. Like, I don't know, like it could have just been yeah. temperatures. Like, that's just so crazy to think about. Like, that, yeah. that's how much they were willing to risk or didn't perceive as a risk, but like mm-hmm. they were told. <laughs> like, I know. They were told just to just to let it fly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And sometimes, like, a part of me is kind of like, um, I bet the media at the time played a large part in pressuring true. Yeah. the engineers. Really hyping and, it up. And yeah. yeah. Even today, um, the Boeing Starliner had another uncrewed test flight of the Starliner um, just a week ago. Um, and just a week ago, as in in reference to the time that we're recording this. And I, you know, have news uh, notifications on my phone and stuff just to keep track of how things are going. And CNN had put out a headline today that was like, mm-hmm. what went wrong in Boeing Starliner's nail-biting launch or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had, like, just watched the Challenger um, documentary, yeah. and I was like, like, it, it's kind of, I don't know. I I just yeah. don't know what it would feel like to be in a position where like the world is really watching you, right? And yeah. you want to do the right thing. That's true. I and know. the safest thing, but like everyone is expecting you to yeah. do well. And like right. this test flight of the Starliner was successful, and it successfully <laughs> docked at the ISS. But like, right. People are still like calling it "quote unquote" nail biting, or like, yeah. like nerve wracking, or like saying like, "Here's all the stuff that went wrong." Like, you know, like right. the the public is really harping on every single thing. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's like, it's almost like being like a celebrity. Like you want to, you know, like you want to be there and like you want to perform, you know, like as people like expect you to, but then like you're still going to get flack either way, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, like as no much matter. as they carefully like calculate every social media post and every appearance, like there's still going to be like you know hearsay and this and that you know yeah exactly but you know i guess it's good and bad like it's good that it's over the news covered by the news because more people can hear about it but at the same time like sometimes it's a little bit overbearing i'm sure yeah i agree and then the episode ends on a cliffhanger um it's a video of Krista and Barbara watching one of the previous launches to when they're scheduled to launch. And in the background, um, they're playing audio from one of Krista's interviews. Mm-hmm. And the interviewer asks, like, are you scared? Like, how do you feel? And she says, right. no. She says, space flight is very, very safe, at, like, right now. Like, I'm yeah. not worried. And maybe when I'm strapped in, I might feel scared. But, like, I'm not scared right now. And then it ends on a black screen. Yeah. And you're like, it's oh, just, my God. <laughs> it's just so eerie. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So overall, I think it was a good episode. It was. Yeah. It definitely gave a lot of insight into a lot of interesting different aspects of it that you wouldn't think of. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you also uh, enjoyed watching this, Ashley. <laughs> and I wasn't the yes. only one. <laughs> <laughs> Super interesting stuff. Yes, for sure. Now moving into our featured photo segment, and you can see the photos that we're talking through on our Instagram story highlights at at abovethewing.podcast. Kim, want to talk us through your photo? Yeah, so my photo is actually a photo of the Casio prototype by Volt Arrow, which was the last uh, headline that I read off in in the news section. I just really like um, pictures of like these prototype planes. I think they're always really unique, and I just liked I don't know, seeing like the decal on this and everything. And mm-hmm. I like the color of like the tips of the propeller and the background is always cool. Like the background of flights because it just makes the world seem so small. <laughs> yeah, they definitely did a very cool job with this with this prototype. Um, and Kim, I've actually got another prototype for you. Mine is of a mock-up of the Daher EcoPulse technology demonstrator that I also spoke about in our new in the news segment. Um, on it, you can see those six wing-mounted electric motors, which is pretty cool. And they've got them standing out in that bright green color, um, sort of to draw attention to the the greenness. Uh, see what they did there? It's pretty clever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought you know again another pretty cool mock-up. Pretty interesting to see what these things will look like. We'll yeah, look into the future. For sure. And I think it's interesting um, that a lot of these prototypes that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks have a ton of propellers. I think there was one. I know. That's <laughs> true. Yes, you're right. There was one photo that we talked about, what, maybe last episode or a couple episodes ago, where it was like uh, a grid of propellers that looked like. That's right. I know. I know, maybe that's it's just because I'm used to way. like, yeah, maybe it's just because <laughs> I'm used to little Cessnas and yeah right (laughs) looks weird (laughs) i know i know i wonder why that is i wonder why so many on these like newer maybe it's a cool factor maybe it's 
Oh no. Pretty cool though. Yeah, for sure. Well, that wraps it up for us this week. As always, thanks so much for listening. You are able to find more Above the Wing podcast on our Instagram at abovethewing.podcast. Thanks for listening.